and I'm going to jump right into my message. I want to take you to a conversation that Jesus has with uh, Nicodemus. We know that conversation took place in chapter 3, so if you want to find that. Um, the Chosen, and I can't wait for season 2 to start, but The Chosen kind of gave us a little bit of an idea of what that conversation might have looked like. And it was a, a compelling scene as Nicodemus uh, troubled, searching, seeking, asking questions. And, um, and Jesus pulls no punches in this conversation. Uh, it, it's kind of interesting because Nicodemus, this is all initiated by him. He comes to the Lord in the night, which some say the reason why John recorded that is that Nicodemus is in, was on the other side. You know, he was on the other side of, of Jesus. He was part of a group that was continually harassing the Lord. So maybe that's why he came in the middle of the night. But he had this awareness of Jesus that no one can do what you're doing unless God is with him. And the Lord hardly notices that in his response. He immediately tells him, you must be born again. And, of course, Nicodemus does not, he's not familiar with that term, and he's, he's kind of trying to figure that out. And he, he talks about how can someone be born when they're old and they can't go back into their mother's womb. And, and the Lord just continues on this like he should know this. And he says, you can't even see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. And then he presses them even more. He says, and you cannot enter the kingdom of God. The one thing that all of them want to be a part of is the kingdom of God. And, and he tells this leader of the Pharisees, he says, you won't even see it and you can't enter it unless you're born from above. The word again is actually a word from above. You have to be born of God. You have to be rebirthed. And, and he kind of presses him even more in verse 11. I'm just going to reference uh, 11 and 12 here because it's kind of like part of this conversation. We all know what John 3, 16 and 17 and 18 read because we've, we've memorized that. But we kind of like go from this, you must be born again to for God so loved the world, and we kind of like miss these verses. And verse 11, it's kind of like Jesus is not really, it's like he doesn't care if he, he offends this guy because he says this in verse 11, we speak of what we know, we testify to what we have seen, but you people, he's kind of like, you and your group, you and your group do not accept our testimony. Nicodemus, you're in with people who are questioning, not just like you're questioning right now, but you are rejecting, your group is making it a habit of rejecting what we're saying. And then he goes so far to say this in the next verse. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. I, I just think that maybe he knew Nicodemus' heart was really searching. Because this could, this could really just make somebody get up and walk out. Well, I didn't come here to get battered. But he says, you don't believe. I've, I've talked to you about things that are simple, and you don't believe it. So how... Will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? And I just wish that we could really see Nicodemus, you know, enduring this response. He's, he's curious about Jesus. But curiosity was not enough. He says, you have failed to accept the testimony. And, and belief 
is all about what we're about. We're calling you to trust. And then he makes this reference in verse 13. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. And here he's bridging what Nicodemus is can't, he can't figure out. He's talking about a rebirth, but he's talking about the physical birth, but he's talking about a birth from above, a birth from heaven. And he says, those two things have been joined only by one person. No one has ever went up to heaven except the Son of Man who has come down from heaven. And verse 14 Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. That everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. I wonder how much we've kind of processed that statement. Now this is a reference to Numbers chapter 21. And uh, I I don't know how often you're into reading Numbers unless you really like genealogies and Numbers. Because it is one of those that's kind of like working your way through Leviticus and Numbers and And you're really eager, if you're reading the Bible through, to get to Deuteronomy and get more into a a flow of history. But tucked in six verses is this occasion that Jesus referenced in this most important conversation he's having with Nicodemus. And he said, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, in the span of those six verses, we find close to two million plus people turn on God and turn on Moses. And it's not as though they they've, haven't had good things to happen. They've had a series of good things to happen. But they, they're tired. They're tired of waiting for water to come out of a rock. They're tired of going without food. They're tired of the heat. They're just tired. They're exhausted. And number says, and they became impatient. I remember when our children were little, your children probably didn't do that, they, they would argue and complain, and I'm hungry, and whatever you offer them, they, no, I don't want that. Well, you're not hungry if you're not. Well, I, don't, I want that. And, and, and I, would used, I used to say occasionally, y'all sound like the children of Israel, murmuring and complaining. And it says specifically that these people got impatient with how things were going And they sinned against God, and they sinned against Moses. They spoke against God, and they even went so far as to say, and we're sick and tired of that food that we collect every morning except on Saturday. It's detestable. This is food that's baked in heaven and comes down like frost on the earth, and they said it had a sweet taste to it, but they were sick and tired of the same food. And they complained. Not that they were in trouble right then, but they just had this, they just tired of this journey that they own, they're on. And God responds to them stepping over the line. This was not the first time they complained. It's not the first time they even threatened Moses. This is, but this point, they stepped over a line with God. And what did God do? He sent what the Bible says fiery serpents. Now, some translations don't use the word fiery, but they're, they're not translating it right because it is the word for burning. These were burning serpents. What do we mean by What did it mean by that? It had to do with the effect of their venom. Their, the poisonous venom was like searing heat that went through them. And so this is what This is what was going on. This was the effect of their sin. This was God's judgment 
on their sin, and it was the poisonous venom from snakes, and it was lots of snakes. There's some people in this room that just cannot bear the sight of a snake crawling through your yard or anywhere near your house, and let alone in your house. There's people in this room that's had a snake in their house. And it doesn't matter whether it's poison or not. The poor thing is going to be beaten to death. And I don't, I don't kill non-poison snakes on my property. I can identify a poison snake. I've held snakes. It's not really something I enjoy. I've held a, a ball python, and, and uh, you know, it's kind of cold, and it, I don't really like doing it. But there's some people that would just, it just absorbs them to think that they could actually touch a snake. But you think about a, a setting where snakes are invading the camp. They're all over the place. And they're striking people with this deadly poison, this searing heat venom. And they're dying. Now, there's a reason why Jesus points this man and reminds this man of a story he knows very well. This story about the serpents and God judging the people of Israel and Moses lifting up that serpent. So here's the people of God. Here's Abraham's descendants, two million plus. And they're, they're in great trouble, and they're in great pain, and they're dying. And this is, what they, this is the journey they've been on. They escaped slavery out of Egypt, hundreds of years of slavery. They were between the army of Egypt, the Egyptian army, and the Red Sea. And they watched Moses step out there and stick that rod out, and God parted the Red Sea for them to go across. That had to be pretty impressive. They witnessed miracles beyond our imagination. And just before these verses in number 6, a Canaanite army had attacked them and ambushed them. And God gave them a staggering victory over them, completely vanquished that nation. It wasn't as though the good things weren't happening, but they came to a point where they'd had enough and, and they sinned against God. And sin brings death. Sin always brings death. People are dying right and left in the camp, and they finally come to Moses and says, you know, we, we messed up. We, we just messed up. Please get God to do something about this. We're, we got people dying out here from these snake bites. Sin is equivalent to death. Death and sin are inter interlinked in such a way that you can't separate the two. Remember what God told Adam and Eve. He says there's a tree in the middle of the garden of, of knowledge of good and evil and says do not eat from it. Don't even touch it because if you do you will die. Now they didn't drop over dead but he was talking about a different kind of death that they would be separated. They would, they would be afraid of him. They would go ahead and hiding. They didn't want to be around God. There was a separation that came between them and God. The scripture says the soul that sinneth it shall die. Paul wrote to the Ephesians and says, you were dead in trespasses and sin. It didn't mean they were physically dead. It meant that they were separated from God. And this is what happened to the people of Israel. The fiery serpents were like a symbol of sin. And, and sin brings death. They stepped over the line. And, and I don't know if we could probably bear the sounds of that camp with people screaming and running and trying to get away from snakes and the death that is all around them. This was the judgment of God, and they couldn't run away from the snakes because they were everywhere, striking people. So here they come to Moses. 
We're sorry. We, 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 we messed up. We've sinned against you. We've sinned against God. Please get, get us some help. Get us some relief. <clears throat> and this is what God told Moses. He says, you go and make a serpent, an image of a serpent out of brass and put it on a pole and you take it out into the camp and you tell the people if they look at it, they will live. Now, that is amazing. Could it be that it was so simple that people missed it? That they were dying, they were in horrific pain. It's kind of like Naaman being told to go dip seven times in Jordan River in your leprosy. And, and he said, well, I can, I can go dip in a river that's a lot cleaner than that river back home. And he, and he goes to leave because it's too simple. He wanted something harder. And does this not ever point to the challenges we have today with preaching the gospel and calling people to just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved? And it's just it's too simple. It could be that people in that camp that were so sick and so close to death, they thought it was ridiculous. Hey, Moses has got a brass serpent on a on a pole, and if you look at it, you'll be healed. I, I don't doubt for a moment there were people that didn't believe that. They didn't believe the simple remedy. Look and live, my brother live, as one of the songs says. Look to that serpent and, and the poison, the venom in your body will be removed. It will be inoculated. Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, and Jesus said, that points to me. And I don't know, Moses, they didn't have a mass production of serpents on poles. They didn't make several. It was one serpent on a pole for Moses, the single man himself. I, I imagine that as an older man, he moved fairly quickly, calling people, look, 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 here, here is your remedy. As many people as he could cry out to his voice, they could hear him. If you just glance at this, you take one peep at this you'll be well you'll live how long did it take him to do that I, I imagine it took a little while for him to make his way through the camp of that many people and there's probably some said no we need real medicine that, 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 that's ridiculous to think we're dying here we're in great pain can't do you have something else can't you take the rod that you parted the red sea with can't you just lift the rod and make the snakes go away why why not the miracle rod bring out the miracle rod and yet god wanted to do something to see if people will simply believe the ridiculous just look and live but it was prophetic because this was pointing to jesus he said just as listen to verse 4 14 again, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And Jesus, of course, was talking about the cross. It was pointing to the cross, his death on the cross. He said, I'm going to be lifted up. Moses gave us an image of that, that the very thing that was killing the people, that symbol represented the remedy, too. It's kind of like Jesus went to the cross taking on the sin of the whole world and he became sin for us who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. On the cross, Jesus tasted the 
bitter poison of separation from the Father so that he could bring remedy to those who were separated from the Father, even if they did not know they were separated from the Father. He delivers us from the power of sin. Sin is an enslaving thing. It's a bondage. And he delivers us from that. He delivers us from the shame. He breaks the chains of bondage. What is our part in this? What do we do with this? He said, so must the Son of Man be lifted up so that everyone who believes on him may be saved, will have eternal life. We are to lift Jesus up as the answer to our world's problems. We're to be his messengers. We're not con- we shouldn't consider people saved until we hear a profession or a confession or a declaration that they do believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, I've had people witness to me. I, I, I think it's pretty cool if I'm I, on the street corner there on the strip. I, these guys were preaching the gospel, and I walked up to them, and they preached the gospel to me. I wanted to get saved all over again. But I listened to it, and I thanked them. I said, you know, I'm, I'm a believer, but I, I tell you what. If you start sharing the gospel with someone and they get offended and claim that they're a believer, they're probably not a believer. They probably need to know that, and yet here they are. They think maybe they've done something to put them in God's favor outside of the cross. Now, there's no one in this country that would think that way, is there? That they've already got two steps ahead of everybody because they're living a good life. They're being kind to people. They're feeding the hungry. They're just, they have a sympathy toward those who don't have anything. And, and they may give everything they can to help people. And they think that gives them a position of, a, of acceptance with God. But if they never knelt at the cross and saw their own sin, they're not saved. They don't know Jesus. And they've been deceived into thinking that it's part of works and part of faith. No, it's all look and live. There's no other thing you can do. When the jailer was about to take his life and Paul and Silas was sitting there and and they saw him and they said, Stop. We're all here. We haven't left the the jail. We're all right here. Don't, Don't kill yourself. And the man came and knelt down. And says, what, what do I need to do to have this salvation? And he says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't give him steps three and four and five and six. He says, believe. It's just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll be saved in your house. You know, they created quite a stir in Philippi. That's why they were in jail. There was, there was disturbance. They were there preaching the gospel, and they already had a, some people that were believers. But I think maybe one of the prominent families in that church was that jailer who had gotten saved with his family. And all he had to do was not go out and try to be the best person you can be. Just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's tragic to be so close to Jesus and still so far away. He says, is that possible? Ask Judas. Close enough to kiss him on the cheek. A common Middle Eastern greeting among men, among families. This is how, this was their hello. He comes up and kisses the Son of God, the door of heaven. 
That's how close he is to him, and he misses him. He misses him because he has his own idea of how things should be. And friends, I believe there's a lot of people that we may have access that are in the same place as that man was, thinking that they're close enough to what they believe is right, and they betray the work of Jesus on the cross. Our motivation, we, we, we have this horrendous virus that people are, are so afraid of. They're, 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 in fact, like way into fear of this, and, and I can understand that. But we should have a greater fear of missing God than of a virus that can only do something to the body. We need a greater revelation of what God wants in our lives and and that we are his messengers. We are the ones that are supposed to go out and lift Jesus up as the salvation of the world and preach the gospel to every person that we can and tell them the wonderful news is this. Everyone who believes, every person, doesn't matter their status in life, it doesn't matter how much wrong they've done, we might think, Someone who's really a terrible, you know, maybe even a serial killer in jail finds Jesus. We've had, we've had that happen. And we think, wow, that's a great story of salvation. Did it take a greater salvation to save him than the person who thought they were living a good life good enough for God? It might take a greater measure of God's power to save the person who thinks they're saved when they're not saved than someone who knows they're lost and very lost. Our motivation has got to be anchored in hope that everyone who believes, everyone, no one excluded, regardless of who they are and what they've done, regardless of what's in their past, You don't have to do a pilgrimage to the Holy Land because the one that made Holy Land, the Holy Land comes to you. You do not have to go to him. The second song we were talking about, how he he pursues us and runs after us. I'm telling you, he's doing that for the people that you think are not very good odds of them coming to the Lord because of the way they're living their life. They are as much available to the salvation of God as anybody else. They might be even closer because they already know. I've had people say, well, I'm not going to go to church because the way I live, the roof is going to cave in on me. You've heard that before. Oh, no. This building's built pretty good. And we're in it. (laughs) And it hasn't caved in, has it? This is how people think. I've got to, I've got to get my life cleaned up, Pastor. I, I'm doing stuff that I, I know I, I can't. I, I got to stop doing, and, and I got to stop doing that before I, I, I know that God doesn't approve of what I'm doing. That's like your poison can be cured in one moment of belief, not in doing. The people that heard Peter preach on Pentecost and the, and the praise team can come up. I'll finish with this. When he preached that, the people came under conviction. There was thousands of them that came under great conviction. And this was their question. What must we do to be saved? And there wasn't anything to do. 
There was something to be. Believe. Believe. How, how does believe look like? How does believe look like in your heart? You can't see it. It, it happens in here. We can only see the evidence of belief as it's lived out. And friends, I, I do believe we are, we need to press people like Jesus pressed Nicodemus. We need to, to reach out to them. We, if you don't know the status of somebody in your family as to where their faith is, you need to be all over that. God needs to get a hold of us, and we need to be like the, the Moses of our time, running, holding up Jesus, lifted high above for people to see that this is your only means of salvation. There's no other way to be saved. I pray that God will raise you and I up in a greater anointing. I was talking to someone when we prayed together Saturday, how the Chi Alpha at Auburn and Brandon and Kayla is there. And, the, and I said, is there a greater harvest field? Is there a greater harvest field than a university campus? The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And Jesus said, pray. Pray. Deomai is the word. Pray, ask the Lord. And it's in the middle voice, meaning pray along with yourself going. Not pray that God will send somebody else, but along with you going, that God will send people along with you to talk to your cousins, to talk to your nephews, to talk to your nieces, to talk to your neighbors, to talk to your co-workers. The poison of sin in their soul is killing them. They carry death in their being. And they risk missing out on God because maybe they just don't know that they're lost until they hear the news that Jesus became sin on the cross, that God was in Christ. God was dying on the cross in a way. I know that sounds odd, but God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself on the cross. God was in Jesus. God's remedy is himself. And we have that remedy. I want, I want us to sing the, I don't know what you was prepared to sing, but I want us to sing reckless love. I just feel like that, that we need to say, God, send me. Say, Here am I. Be like Isaiah. Would you stand with me? And maybe, maybe the church has failed to, to train in personal evangelism. Can, can I just give you a quick point on that? Ask God to open doors for you to share your testimony. How Jesus saved you. And, and I've had opportunity to tell people my encounter with Jesus that I felt like was more important to them to know how I came to the Lord than me trying to take them through verses. But I would love for you to consider this morning to say, God, here am I, send me. Not send me in an official sense, but send me across the board.
I'm ready. I'm ready. I want to be your spokesperson, Lord. I want, I want to talk to people about where they're at. Would you do that with me? Lord, I pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would erupt within our being to anoint us, to take us past our, our excuses. Forgive us, Lord, for making excuses of, well, that's not my calling, that's not what I'm, I'm comfortable doing. Lord, forgive us when we have the remedy in our voice, the good news of the cross. And I pray, Lord, that you would open doors for us all of us in this room, that may 2021 be a year of salvation, a year of a move of the Holy Spirit. It was so much has happened to damage our country and damage families. And, and Lord, that this be a year of an awakening, a spiritual awakening, Lord. And begin it right here in our own hearts. And you're welcome to come to this altar and kneel and and seek the face of God. Let's take a few minutes to really seek His face this morning and ask Him, Lord, use me. Use me, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Before I spoke a word, you were singing over me.
say